God's word. Holy God, we thank you for the gift of your grace, which is so amazing that we can't even fully comprehend or appreciate it. God, as we come to this time of looking into your word, we give you our own perceptions, our own perspectives, our own opinions, and ask that you would replace them, God, with your perceptions, with your perspectives, and with your opinions. God, it's not about us, it's all about you, and we need your word and your spirit in our lives to guide us and to direct us. And so, as we come to you in worship, and we thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy, we ask also that you would speak to us so that we can go away knowing that because we have met with you today, we are forever changed. We thank thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is good to be together again, again. (laughs) It seems like I keep coming back and going away, doesn't it? Last weekend, we had our all-church camp out, and many of us were able to be up at Cascades Camp, sleeping in tents and RVs and uh, worshiping in God's country, while uh, many of you were here together at 10 for a service with our own Pastor Emeritus, Steve Starr, bringing the message. And uh, Greg and I were thinking about it. I'm guessing we were having communion at about the same time at camp that you guys were here too. So we were all kind of together at 10. And isn't that the beauty of Christian community is that when we come to communion, we are reminded that it's not just the people in the same room with us, but we are part of the body of Christ. And no matter where we're meeting or when we're meeting, because of the Spirit of Christ being with us, we are a part of that larger family. And that is such a wonderful blessing to be invited to be a part of that kind of a community. For those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, when I actually was here, uh, I shared with you that I was really taken by uh, one of the commercials that they showed at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics uh, by Dick's Sporting Goods. And it was all about how, you know, we all have a little bit of gold in our heart, but at the end is only some of us have the strength to dig it out. Well, uh, if you've been following the Olympics, I don't know if you've seen this, but they came out with a, a new commercial, and I was taken by this one almost as much. And so it was such a good commercial, we thought we would uh, share it with you this morning. So we just want to have you watch this commercial for a minute. The world is made from the same basic elements of the universe that have been present since the beginning of time, and they still exist today in every living thing. Carbon. Calcium coffee. There are 60 milligrams of caffeine in every cup. It's in our mochas. It's in our lattes. But the highest concentration of coffee is in our espresso. We all enjoy a good cup of coffee now and then. But only some have the guts to drink it straight. (laughs) for those of you who may not know you know my favorite cup of coffee is a quad tall americano with extra room from starbucks so if you don't drink it straight it's not real coffee and last i checked i don't think caffeine is one of the banned substances on the olympics list so i'm guessing there were a lot of athletes out there you know getting their morning cup before their uh competition it's fun to uh, continue in this series that we're calling more than gold 
as we're following the Olympics this summer. And uh, tonight, uh, sadly, we have the closing ceremonies, and it's all going to come to a close in Rio. Uh, But we're going to continue for uh, another week as we follow up in our series looking at Hebrews chapter 12, some of the first uh, verses there. As we've been following the Olympic ceremonies, though, and the competitions, we've heard stories on TV and seen examples of the dedication and the discipline that it requires to win gold at the Olympics. And then we've also explored here on Sunday morning how if this is true for winning a gold medal in the Olympics, how much more will it be true for things that are of eternal significance, of things that are worth more than gold? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like discipline. Uh, Discipline is kind of a dirty word. You know, as a kid, uh, my family was influenced by uh, James Dobson and focus on the family. He was really coming to be popular, and there were classes that parents could take on how to parent kids, and there were different labels that were given to kids. And my my parents shared with me that according to James Dobson, apparently I was what they call a strong-willed child. I don't know if you guys remember those labels or uh, had kids that were also strong-willed. One of the things that James Dobson advocated that my parents shared with me on how you can work with and discipline a strong-willed child is apparently if you, if you grab and pinch this muscle right above the collarbone here and you squeeze really hard, you can kind of get the kid to do pretty much anything you want him to do. <laughs> now, luckily, my parents never used that form of discipline on me, and I think we've kind of progressed today to maybe a little healthier understanding of what discipline looks like. But I think it's important for us to understand that when we talk about discipline, it usually isn't something that is pleasant. And most often it's something that is painful. Discipline is not something we like because we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be challenged in our behavior or our perspectives. As Americans, we're, we're taught to value number one and to think that we know enough to make all of the right decisions for our own lives, and we don't want anybody else messing with that, right? And most often, unfortunately, when we talk about discipline, we think of discipline as punishment. But discipline is so much more than that. And when we look at the biblical perspective on discipline, we see that it has a much broader meaning and application in our lives than simply some form of punishment. Generally speaking, most of us would prefer the easy path, though, right? The the path of least resistance. Unless, of course, we are able to set our eyes on something that seems important enough or worth it enough to go through the difficulty and, shall we say, the pain of doing the work that it takes to achieve it. And I'd like to suggest that's why the Olympics are so inspiring for us, because we see men and women who have caught a glimpse of of, of achieving gold in their particular form of sport, and they dedicate their lives through the challenges of injury and the regular routines of training and discipline to be able to achieve such a high level of uh, accomplishment in their area. See, even as valuable and auspicious as a gold medal in the Olympics might be, uh, the inspiration of of the Olympics helps us to see that life in this world and in the next can be about so much more than even winning a gold medal. See, the question for us today I'd like to suggest is whether or not we are willing to submit ourselves to the discipline and the training it takes to achieve more than gold. The, letter, the author to the letter of Hebrews in chapter 12, if you want to turn with me there now in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. We'll also have the words on the screen up front. 
but he's concerned to help us understand that this race that we have been called to run as followers of Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who has already run the race ahead of us and is inviting us to follow and run the same race, is a race that we have to understand is going to require discipline on our part in order to be successful. In verse 5, he says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And I would add there, and daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And I'd like to start with that last phrase here, understanding that the biblical perspective on discipline is that God does not sit in heaven as a heavenly judge looking to zap us with lightning bolts whenever we mess up as a way of disciplining us. What he's saying is that the Christian life is about training in a form of lifestyle that has been modeled for us by Jesus. And to do that, it takes commitment and hard work, and we need the Lord's guidance and his correction along the way to be able to do it well and to be successful. That's why he starts off by saying, this is a word of encouragement. You should be encouraged that God loves you like a heavenly father and he's willing to work with you on this life. Again, hardship does not mean punishment from a biblical perspective. Endure hardship as discipline, he says in verse 7. God is treating you as his children. Like in the letter of James that we studied earlier this year, where James starts off by saying, count it all joy, my friends, when you face various trials. The the author of the letter of Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. When you encounter difficulties and challenges, don't assume that God is against you. Assume that God is there with you, and he's willing to work with you to overcome every obstacle and challenge, and you will be better on the other side of it because you've trusted in God and followed him. Because we know that God can use everything for our good and for his glory. As we said back in the series on James, and we have to remind ourselves today, this perspective has to begin with the fundamental understanding that God is good and he loves us. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And it's out of that perspective that we can accept his divine discipline in our lives because we know that he's wanting us to experience the best in our lives, just like a good heavenly father would want for his children, or just like a mother would want for her children. That's why he goes on to say in verse 9, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, right? How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? In verse 10, he says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, God's 
discipline isn't a punishment, it's an encouragement to enter into the kind of life experience that he wants for us, to experience his holiness, his wholeness and completeness in our lives. God's plan and intention for us from the beginning is that we experience this joy and this completeness of life that comes through his son Jesus that is a reflection of his holiness at work in us. Like a loving father with his children, God simply wants the best for each of us and he's willing to work with us on it. But if we're really honest, we don't always want God messing in our lives, do we? We don't always welcome his intervention into our choices and into our behaviors, into how we spend our time and how we spend our money and what we choose to watch on television and all of those things in our lives. I remember back when Lucas was a little boy and uh, we were, you know, working on bedtime routines. We had one of those cribs that you start with it really shallow when they're an infant and then as they grow and they get, are able to stand up, you can lower the, the mattress lower and lower into the crib. You remember that crib, right, Tammy? Until the very end, you can take the, the front off and it turns into a little bed. So about the time he was three, we were able to turn it into a little bed and we could sit on the floor right next to the bed at bedtime and, and have him go to sleep. And if you've had a chance to meet Lucas, you, you probably know that he really likes to talk. And so one of our biggest challenges at bedtime was to say, okay, buddy, that's enough talking. It's time to go to sleep. You have to stop talking now. But he didn't want to stop talking. He didn't want us interfering with his fun at, at night. So finally we had to say, okay, buddy, there's, there's really two ways we can do this. We can do it the easy way or we can do it the hard way. And we kind of had this routine where we talked through, okay, well, what is the easy way? Well, the easy way is you stop talking, you relax, you close your eyes, and we'll stay here, and we'll pat your back, and we'll rub your hand, we'll sing some songs, and you can go to sleep peacefully, and it'll be enjoyable for everybody. Well, what's the hard way? Well, the hard way is you keep talking, and eventually we're going to have to just leave, turn off the lights, and you're going to have to go to sleep by yourself, and you're going to scream, and you're going to cry, and you're not going to be happy, but you're going to go to sleep either way. So you have to choose, do you want the easy way or the hard way? Well, of course, he had to test to see if the hard way was real, you know, and we had to, as parents, follow through on our commitment to, to walk out of the room and turn off the lights. But once he found out that he didn't really like the hard way, all we had to do was ask him, do you want the easy way or the hard way? And he said, ah, easy way. I want the easy way. But how many times in life do we think that we want the easy way, and it turns out to be the hard way. In Psalm 32, verses 8 through 10, we don't have this one on the screen, but I'll just invite you to hear the words of the psalmist, where God is talking about his desire to walk with us and to work with us and to instruct us in life. And he says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. You see, the Lord's discipline isn't only intended to guide us, but it's intended to protect us, often from the consequences of our own choices and our own actions. In the summer of 1987, the World Outdoor Championships were held in Rome one year prior to the Olympics. At that time, Canadian sprinter Ben Johnson set a world record of 9.83 seconds in the 100-meter dash, defeating United States' Carl Lewis. 
He had lopped off a full one-tenth of a second from the existing record, which is an amazing feat in a 100-meter sprint. A year later and a month and a half out from the Olympics, the two men raced again in Zurich, Switzerland. This time, Lewis was the winner at 9.93 seconds, but he was still a tenth off of Johnson's record the year before. Six weeks later, both men would beat their best times as they raced in the Olympics in South Korea. On September 24th, the highly publicized showdown 100-meter race between Lewis and Johnson saw Lewis run his personal best of 9.92, but Johnson set another phenomenal, amazing record, beating the time at 9.79 seconds, shaving off another four one-hundredths of his earlier world record. The glow of his victory was short-lived, however. On September 27th, the International Olympic Committee announced that he had tested positive for steroid use. Ben's personal decision to cheat and to use steroids resulted in him being stripped of his medal. Lewis was given the gold, and all of Johnson's record times were erased from the record books. The Canadian government voted to ban Johnson for life from further competition, and it's speculated that he lost millions and millions of dollars in sponsorships and commercial contracts. What a dramatic turnaround from the pinnacle of your sport to the bottom of the heap. I think we can honestly say that Ben Johnson lost a lot more than just gold. You see, it's so tempting to pursue the easier path, or to cut corners in order to get what we want, or to sacrifice what we know is right for what we think is going to make us happy. We've seen the dramatic number of people who are accused and caught doping this year in the Olympics again. It seems like it's growing like wildfire. See, what we think is the easy way often turns out to be the hard way. What we think is going to get us happiness often turns out to be the very things that cause us the most pain. And we have a loving Father who would love to spare us of those consequences. And if we can accept and and submit to his discipline in our lives, we have to understand that his desire is to spare us from pain, even though it might seem like it's causing us pain in the moment. If you think about what discipline is, you can also say that discipline isn't just a verb, it's also a noun. We use the word discipline in terms of a field of study or even a a sporting athletic arena, such as an academic discipline. Why do we call it a discipline? Well, because there are usually things that take such a long time to work through, to study, to practice, to get good at, that it takes discipline to be able to become good in a certain field or to master a certain subject. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that I think the Bible also presents us with the idea that the Christian life is just such a discipline. It's about more than gold. It's about training in godliness. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We have the NIV up here, but I sometimes love Eugene Peterson's translation in the message too, right? He says it this way, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness here. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit for today and forever. 
How come we can spend so much time in our culture worrying about our physical fitness and our physical appearance, yet never really recognizing that the same amount of dedication, if not more, is required to be spiritually fit, both for today and for forever? I mean, our bodies are, are good for a few years here on this planet, but our spirits, we know, are going to live in eternity. Why would we not want to invest equal, if not more, time in training ourselves in godliness to be like Him? The Bible tells us that if we submit ourselves to God's training and discipline in our lives, we discover the pathway to true righteousness and peace. In verse 11, he says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And we've talked about this before, this idea of righteousness that the Bible has is about being in right relationship with all things. It starts with being in right relationship with God and leads us to being in right relationships with other people and ultimately allows us to be in right relationship with the creation that God has given us to live in. Our health and our wholeness in life comes from following God's guidance and discipline in our lives so that we can be trained in his character. We can be trained in godliness. What about you this morning? What's one area of your life where maybe you need to accept and submit to God's discipline in your life this morning? Just one area. Pick one. What's, what's one area in your life that maybe you need to hear some of God's correction and redirection so that you can begin to walk in a different way? What's one area uh, where you have an obstacle to overcome and something that God needs to remove out of your pathway so that you can move forward in your spiritual life? Maybe you've been stuck working on the same thing over and over again and you need God's help to come in because it's not something you can solve on your own, in your own human strength. Maybe you need a divine work of God's spirit in your life to remove that out of your pathway. I think as we come to God and we ask for his discipline and we submit ourselves to his leadership, it's not about our punishment, but it's about finding divine help and encouragement to be able to move forward on the journey in life. That's really what the spiritual life is all about. And that great cloud of witnesses that has already gone before us that are lining the the arena in heaven, as Hebrews said at the beginning, is inviting us to be cheered on and encouraged to persevere and keep on in the race. In, 19, in the 1936 Olympics, a group of nine American young men from the University of Washington, through hard work and dedicated discipline, overcame all the odds to win gold in the eight-oared crew competition at the Berlin Olympics. By all rights, they never should have done it. But their dedication, their perseverance, and their willingness to submit to discipline help them to achieve the impossible, to come together as a team, and to win gold. We have another video. I invite you to watch this. In 1936, as the Nazis prepared to stage the Summer Olympics in Germany, nine working-class boys in the American Northwest nurtured an impossible dream. They came out of nowhere out of logging camps, dairy farms, shipyards, and small dusty towns. But in 1936, in an old shell house at the University of Washington, they found one another, and together they set on an epic saga. Ahead of them lay the prospect of Olympic gold. They crushed the two-time Olympic champions at the University of California. They beat the best crews in the East, the well-heeled sons of bankers and lawyers and corporate titans. They took on rowing's elite aristocratic British boys from Oxford and Cambridge 
and smashed the world's record to win the right to row for gold. Then, in Berlin, the heart of the new Nazi state, the stage was set. On a nearby balcony, Adolf Hitler stood watching. Out on the water, his German boys wore swastikas on their chests. The crowd, 75,000 strong, began to chant Deutschland, 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 and the flag was dropped. recently in a book, and as it turns out, one of the team members of, of that eight-man rowing crew was Roger Morris, who was a local boy and a friend of our very own Jerry Wheeler's. Jerry was able to secure the actual oar uh, that was used in the boat and Roger's gold medal, which are on display out in the lobby. I don't know if you maybe saw them on the way in, but we encourage you to stop by and look at them at the table on your way out. God's desire is for a fruitful outcome in our lives. And as we look to the stories of these Olympians, like the boys in the boat, we are inspired to recognize that God invites us to do this race together, that he is with us to work with us, to help us, and he's given us the gift of one another to help pull the oars together, to work in time and to live life together to be successful. His desire is that we experience a harvest of righteousness in our own lives and in our faith community as a church so that we too can share in his holiness. We've been invited to do this together and as a team to encourage and support one another. Uh, two weeks ago, I shared that I was uh, making a new commitment to a discipline in my life where I wanted to uh, wake up every morning and spend my first moments with God and at the end, uh, spend my evening with God and do a little journaling of all the things that I've been thankful for. And after the service, Darren Griffin came up to me and he said, hey, would you like to you know, do some accountability partnering in that and maybe we could text each other and just encourage each other? And I said, that would be awesome. I need that kind of accountability and help. And uh, I hate to say I haven't been doing so good in my commitment yet, <laughs> but Darren's been gracious in texting me, and we are now working together to encourage each other to follow through on those commitments that we make with God. I don't know if many of you have heard from B, and she has shared her story with me many times on Sunday morning where uh, one day a long time ago, uh, Jesus came to her and invited her to say, get up every morning and meet me at, at this chair, and I will be sitting here to meet with you. And she has faithfully followed through on that discipline. And Sunday after Sunday, she has shared with me the amazing things that, that God has done in her life as a result of her commitment to meet with Jesus at that chair every morning. 
So we've been talking about different disciplines that we can commit to, and if you haven't thought of any disciplines that you can commit to yet, maybe you want to think about what's one or more things that, again, thinking about them as spiritual exercises to begin to to put on some spiritual muscle again in your life. And as you enter into those disciplines, whether it's scripture reading or committed times of prayer, or or maybe you're a person who really connects with God outdoors, and so once a week you're going to go take a walk somewhere and be outdoors with God where you can connect with his spirit. Whatever your disciplines are, this morning I would like to invite you to add to that, doing some honest work with God about that one area where you need God's discipline in your life this week or this month or this year. What's that one area that you want to invite God to focus on where you are willing to, to again, as we've prayed several times today, to live open-handed with God and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And then the final challenge is don't just do that alone. Engage with at least one other person where you're sharing the commitment that you're making to God and agree to to help hold each other accountable or to encourage each other in that process. We are designed to do the spiritual life together. And so I would encourage you to think about those three things that you can do. When life is about more than gold, we learn to respect divine discipline in our lives. We learn to participate in God's shaping activity in our own hearts and in our own minds. And ultimately, we join that great cloud of witnesses who encourage others to have faith and to run the race that is set before us. And ultimately, that is our call as a church, is to be an inspiration to others who are not yet on the journey to accept a relationship with Jesus Christ and to get into the race. And if we're not working on our race, then how can we inspire others? Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you for your amazing grace. That disciplines are not about getting it perfect the first time, but about a commitment to getting back up every time and keeping on following you. God, we ask that you would enter into this race with us through your spirit and that you would empower us and encourage us to make commitments to submit to your discipline And to find that as a result, even though it might not seem like the easy way at the beginning, it is the pathway to true fruitfulness into experiencing the abundant life that you've invited us to experience in you. And we will praise you and thank you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Kurt, it's good to have you back again and again. And again and again. And again, absolutely. We are blessed with so many rich, wonderful ministries. One of the ministries is our women's ministry that includes speakers and small groups and retreats and opportunities to grow in faith. It's because of your gifts of money, time, and effort that that ministry, along with all of our ministries, continue. And we invite the ushers to come forward and please receive our offering. In every season of life, there's dirtiness. If you remember back to when you were a little guy or a little girl, or if you now have some grandchildren, you have those dirty hands and the marks on the walls. And then they grow up, and then there's just laundry and laundry and laundry. (laughs) And I can't find any clean clothes because I'm under all of that laundry. And sometimes I find a quarter. Woohoo! Thank you, Jesus. And when that hamper is empty, I am so thrilled And then they come with the dirty clothes, put it in there. And then maybe you're in a season now of just all of those boxes and that one room or that closet that is filled with pictures and memorabilia and things you just don't even know what to do with. And it's just piling up. 
Whatever season you're in, I am here to tell you that God's word has some good news for us about getting clean. And all of this stuff on the outside matters so little when we look at what God can do with us on the inside. From Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Take care of my laundry, Lord. Take care of that closet and that room, those boxes. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I see shattered, you see whole. I see broken, but you see beautiful. And you're helping me to believe. You're Restoring me piece by piece. There's nothing too dirty that you can make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. There's nothing too dirty. That you can make worthy, you wash me in mercy. Wash me in my sea. 
Washed in the blood of your sacrifice, your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified. I am clean. Washed in the blood of your sacrifice, your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty Absolutely wonderful. And Kurt, you had.